It's go time. You are listening live to Quick Kicks, a presentation of Third Down Gamble. Frozen Tundra, minus 40 that it was here where I live in Saskatchewan, has finally abated. We are closer to zero than we've been in over a month. And that means we can talk football. Welcome everyone to Third Down Gamble, Don Charbon, along with Heath Graham and Pat Mooney. Glad again that everyone can be along with us. A lot of the GMs have been really focusing on their key group of guys that they wanted to see back. And they are putting pens to paper and getting deals done. There's going to be a lot of movement in free agency, but a lot of those core guys are coming back to the the teams that they're familiar with. This is crunch time for the GMs. They need to make sure they've identified their primary targets and go after them hard because the window is rapidly closing. Free agency doesn't start till February. A lot of names were on those lists, but some big names are now off. Things can move pretty fast in the CFL. Some breaking news as we were recording this episode. Dane Evans has re-signed in Hamilton with a two-year contract extension. Where does that leave Jeremiah Mazzoli? It looks like the Hamilton Tiger Cats have made their decision on the starting quarterback of the future. It is Dane Evans. Does Jeremiah Mazzoli follow Sean Burke to Ottawa? Does he solve some of Toronto's quarterbacking problems? Or is there another team that wants to give him a look? Time will tell. You pose some very interesting questions there. It does look like Dane Evans is going to be their quarterback, and it's actually a good choice. We both had guessed that that might be the choice they make. He has thrown for over 70% completion rate in his career. He has 4,900 yards, 29 touchdowns versus 18 interceptions. So a good choice for Hamilton moving forward. But like you, I'm extremely interested to find out where Jeremiah Mazzoli will land next year. Sean Burke, who's the new GM in Ottawa, has a lot of work to do there. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders have signed probably one of the biggest cogs in their defensive line, A.C. Leonard, to a two-year deal. And they've also made some other signings, but I think by far Leonard was the biggest of the hit parade. Absolutely. Anytime you can lock up a player of A.C. Leonard's quality and and, uh, abilities, you're going to do that as quickly as you can. And that's a big signing for them. He led the league, of course, in sacks last year and big things are expected of him. And big things are expected of him in the 2022 season as well. One other signing for Saskatchewan that I'm interested in is Jamal Morrow has re-signed. Now he, in 2021, was primarily the kick return specialist, but he is listed as a running back. He did have a few carries and a few catches as well. So what does this mean as far as William Powell and his status? Is Jamal Morrow a kind of player that they're going to try to get more into the offensive scheme as well? like BC did with Lucky Whitehead, and we've seen how that worked out for them. I think you're on the right track, Heath. Morrow, to me, is the heir apparent. Powell, it's probably, you better show big time this year or you're gone. He he did have some good days at the office. Compare him to Kadeem Carey, who's still a free agent with the Stampeders. 34 years old next year, he's going to also be on the back end of his career. So for him to pick up the type of contract he's had previously... If he wants to stay with the team, he certainly is going to have to, in my opinion, take a step down in terms of salary to stay with the team. The other thing that I think the Rough Riders have done a good job of is trying to lock up some of their offensive linemen as well. And one that maybe goes under the radar a bit this this week is Taron Vaughn signing to bring a veteran back into the presence. They've had some 
young lineman in there that they have resigned, but to bring a veteran like Vaughn back, if he's able to come back and bounce back after an injury season where he couldn't play, I think that's going to be huge. Blue Bombers, of course, have done a lot of work. We've already chronicled that Willie Jefferson is back with the team. They've also seen a few players wind up in the NFL. They have. This is one of the downsides to being a back-to-back champion is you're going to get all eyes on your available players. We did see DeAndre Alford sign with the Atlanta Falcons. We know that there's been a couple other players getting looks. Kenny Lawler, Drew Dejarle, the list goes on. Jonathan Kongbo was released today by Winnipeg so he can pursue NFL interest. And I saw on Twitter, Sergio Castillo is actively putting his name out there for NFL teams to give him another look as well. So there could be a handful of Blue Bombers heading south, but they have done some work in getting Jefferson, Jeffcoat, Thomas back in the lineup, and they're looking to solidify some more of those players as they come available. Huge on the uh, Winnipeg negotiation list would have to be their quarterback, Zach Glaris. If he ever made it to February, do you think there would be a hue and cry in Winnipeg that we've never heard in a long time? I believe so. I I think the way that Caleros has fit in in Winnipeg has been great, both for himself and for the team. Obviously, they've won back-to-back Grey Cup, so it's it's a right fit. But given the uncertainty in his career prior to that signing, and what we saw in Winnipeg as well was that Chris Strevler was not a starting quarterback in the CFL. And we saw Matt Nichols not being a big offensive superstar. They needed something to work as well. So you got Claros coming in there with his strong arm and his scrambling ability, and, and he turned things around for Winnipeg. I would strongly believe that he does re-sign. If he doesn't, it's going to be really interesting to see who they go after because I don't think Drew Brown is the future starting quarterback in Winnipeg right now. Nor the uh, fantasy points pirate. Sean McGuire. I, I, I believe Drew Brown has re-upped, but Sean McGuire has not as of yet. So they have some hope for Drew Brown at this point, and we'll see what happens with Sean McGuire as well. I think it is time that Winnipeg does try to find a backup quarterback. Caleros, I think it's his team for a couple more years if they can get him back. Uh, beyond that, though, they, they have to start looking at some form of succession. They need a capable backup. Calgary Stampeders and their quarterback of note, Bo Levi Mitchell, have restructured the final year of his 2022 contract. That was a deal that they had signed a few years ago. It's a $40,000 pay cut. If Mitchell makes all of his bonuses, he'd still be down 40000 from what he would have made. Took a bit of a shave to help sign Jake Mayer and also to pick up some of the receivers. And one key ingredient that he would like to see back, of course, is Kadeem Carey, the running back. To be fair to the Stampeders in this, John Huffnagel doesn't have a history of restructuring quarter or quarterback salaries, is that Mitchell has not played a full season in any of the last two that he's been with the team. In 2019, he only played in 11 games. And in 2021, he played in 11 games. That really does impact. And you compare that to his his uh, endurance in the first part of his career, where he missed but one game in his first seven seasons. We knew that the re-signing of Jake Mayer was going to play into what happened with Bo Levi Mitchell. 
I'm not surprised to see a little bit of a pay cut. It's not a, a really substantial one given the size of his contract. It's about a not even a 10% pay cut. It does give Calgary a distinct advantage right now in the league of having two very capable quarterbacks. And there aren't any other teams currently with with two quarterbacks of that caliber under contract. So it's it's a big step for Calgary in, in keeping those two players on the team. And with the uncertainty of Bo Levi Mitchell's health, as you've mentioned, having Jake Mayer in that backup role and under the tutelage of Bo Levi Mitchell is going to set them up well for the future, not just this coming season. Renegotiating with the playtime bonuses is also something that, that I think could benefit Calgary as well in the fact that if Jake Mayer has to step in and move towards his high-end ceiling at 186. You'll see Bo Levi Mitchell go down further than that 40000 He has approximately 60000 in playtime bonuses as well. That shoulder is going to be the key to whether or not he plays a full slate of games in 2022. A lot was made with the uh, break in his leg that he had, but it was the shoulder that was the bigger issue for him throughout the entirety of the 2021 season. And he even alluded to it near the end of the season that he had not come around with it. With another offseason, some more rehab on that shoulder, you got to believe that Mitchell will probably be in a better state than he was going into 2021. Mayer will be the backup at the start of the season. Kudos to the Stampeders for having two quarterbacks in their stable that can both start. A lot of question marks about Michael Riley. He's got a huge contract in British Columbia, and he is under contract. But he has taken such a beating over the last three years. Begs of the question, A, does he want to come back? And B, if he does, do the Lions, with Nathan Rourke already proving that he could be a starter... Do they want to shell out that kind of money to him? And maybe would they want to restructure with Riley? Riley, of course, has no obligation to restructure. The Lions' big resigning was to bring Lucky Whitehead back. And Lucky Whitehead actually spoke to this, saying that he's comfortable to go forward with either quarterback that BC has. And I think you're right, Don. Uh, That's an awful lot of money for BC to put on the table for them. If they're going to look at getting receivers like Brian Burnham back on the team as well, they're going to have to put out some money. We may see BC approach Riley, and it's going to be up to Riley as to whether or not he will choose to restructure or retire. I hope we get a quality player like Michael Riley for one more year. It's always tough when you see some of these elite players getting towards the end of their career. It's always the question of how many more years is too many more. But I think the toughness that Michael Riley has shown over the last couple of years and and his ability certainly sets up that I would love to see him on the field for one more year. He is an elite quarterback. I do think the BC Lions have to go after some offensive line help as well. We've talked for the last couple of years about Michael Riley and the amount of pressure that he has faced. Even if he's not getting sacked, he's often ending up on the ground or with a good hit on him. That may go somewhere in having him renegotiate his contract If they're able to say we can put some money towards increasing the stability of our offensive line and the performance of the offensive line to protect him. That's exactly what I was going to say, Pat. I believe a lot of the issues in BC have certainly been the offensive line and the struggles that they have had in that part of the team in keeping protection for Michael Riley and giving him the ability to throw the ball and to see the open receivers. He's been rushed 
and knocked down and sacked a lot over these last two seasons. Which does make you wonder if he wants to come back and face that again. Or do the Lions even dare consider this and dangle him out there to the Elks? Never say never. We are going to see very shortly what the Chris Jones effect is once this this free agency window opens up. There's been a lot of speculation about players that played under him that are now in Saskatchewan and Winnipeg and Toronto. And now you're mentioning BC. So we'll see how much weight he has and how many of these guys really enjoyed playing under him and are that loyal to uh, to jump ship over to Edmonton. And the other question, though, is how much does Jones want them? CFL players all wear a face mask for safety. With COVID-19 on our field, we also need to wear our masks to keep everyone safe. Do your part. Be a team player. We all assume that these players want to go join with Jones, but maybe he's moved on and he may not want them. It's it's a question that it's going to play out in free agency for sure. We'll find out. But as you indicated, like, Willie Jefferson was a classic person who you thought, well, he went with Jones to Saskatchewan. Would he go back to Edmonton and decided not to. He's staying with O'Shea in Winnipeg. He's got a couple of rings on his fingers now that maybe swayed that decision a little bit. Especially with the way Edmonton has performed as of late. And it's interesting. We talk about Edmonton quarterback situation there. With the restructuring of Nick Arbuckle's contract in Edmonton, is that Chris Jones' guy moving forward? Ooh, that's a great question. I'm not convinced. Arbuckle is on the team, but I don't know if he's the starter. They did sign Kai Loxley, so there's going to be more quarterback competition at training camp. <sighs> Taylor Cornelius is still there, and if you listened to McAdoo and you listened to Chris Jones talk about the quarterback situation, they talked a lot about Cornelius and very little, if anything, about Arbuckle. My feeling, just reading those comments, is that they're leaning towards Cornelius to be their starter coming out of camp. It would be tough to do that when you've renegotiated a deal to be 328000 plus 12000 for housing. Um, they did pay him a $100,000 bonus up front. So really you're coming into the 240000 realm during the course of the season for what they have to pay him. Do you sit that as a backup? You can. You had Dane Evans starting in Hamilton, and Jeremiah Mazzoli was making north of four. Well, you're certainly going to go with the quarterback that gives you the best opportunity to win. And I guess the question is, is that Nick Arbuckle? Something's got to change for Arbuckle. Maybe the situation he's in in Edmonton will be that change that he requires, and he'll flourish. Well, Stephen McAdoo has done very well with quarterbacks in his time in Edmonton and even in Saskatchewan with Cody Fajardo, so... Maybe he can put some of the magic that he has in terms of increasing the quarterback's overall yardage, at least, with Nick Arbuckle. McAdoo does have a magic touch with QBs. There's no doubt about it. Everywhere that he goes, quarterback play improves. Edmonton needs that, too. Well, do you put all of this on their quarterback play last year? I would think a lot of the Edmonton woes were off the field, and they just filtered onto the field. The cultural fit phenomenon of players being released for not being cultural fits. A lot of the other moves that they made with radio personalities and with locker room staff, I think it was a very toxic environment. I, I don't know that 
as fans, we will ever truly know what went on behind closed doors. But I believe it was a lot of dysfunction in the way that that team was operating and how players were getting along with coaching staff, et cetera, et cetera, that led to the play on the field. They had a lot of big name players, players that have been all-stars in the past. We know what they're capable of for whatever reason it was not working out in Edmonton last season. And that does beg the question of how many of the players will Chris Jones bring back out of that year, or is it a total rebuild this year? I don't know what what will happen. If you think back to when Jones came to Saskatchewan, he basically gutted the, the roster and then rebuilt from scratch. But as we've mentioned, a lot of core players are being locked up by their current teams right now. So it's going to be interesting to see what is left out there at the end of the month. And of course, obviously looking south of the border for options as well. There might be a lot of new faces to the league, not just to the Elks coming coming next season. team that lost in the Grey Cup has got a lot of people that they need to re-sign. The CFL put out a, a posting of the top nine players that need to be re-signed. Interestingly, in Hamilton, they chose Ja'Garrett Davis over either quarterback. I guess it's a case of either quarterback is going to give you a quality starting quarterback. So instead of picking one or the other, they kind of looked at another hole that would need to be filled. And Ja'Garrett Davis would leave a huge hole if he is no longer on that defensive line. We look at the two teams that made the Great Cup in each of the last two years. They've had outstanding defenses and you build that around your key defensive players and that is the key defensive player or one of them in Hamilton. There's a few other free agents that they may need to get as well. Well, they've got a, a laundry list today. Delacay, Brandon Banks, Carrie Brooks, Darius Siraco, Stephen Dunbar, Siante Evans. There's a lot of starting talent not been re-signed by Hamilton as of yet. When you go to the Grey Cup twice in a row, you kind of think you want to keep the core together, but how big is that core? And you get looking on that defensive side, as Pat talked about, and you've got Simone Lawrence, you've got Javon Santos-Knox, you've got Jamal Roll, some pretty big names in other parts of that defense that are sitting there as free agents as well. Your question is a valid one, Don. How many of those players do you bring back? I mean, you certainly have to identify who are your core people, can you afford to pay them, and which ones are we ready to move on from? Montreal. Jake Wieneke is still available. You can start going up and down the ladder in terms of their talent pool. Woody Barron, defensive tackle. David Menard, who was nominated for Outstanding Canadian. Uh, Money Hunter is trying his wares in the United States right now, so we'll see if he comes back. Well, the interesting thing is you have a, a long list of players, and they were the team actually in the best shape as far as players under contract going into this free agent season, but there are some big names out there. We knew that they were going to push hard to get Vernon Adams and Eugene Lewis back under contract, which they have done. And now it's a matter of finding the other pieces to the puzzle and who fits in where. One quick note I'm going to make about Montreal to answer a question that we raised last week was, did Kahari Jones and Jeff Reinbold cross paths with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers? And they did not. Jeff Reinbold was coach in 96 and 97, and Kahari Jones came on board as a quarterback in 1999. No previous relationship in Winnipeg, but we'll see how things work out for Montreal this year. Another coaching get in Montreal was they signed former Montreal Carabin coach Anthony Calvillo to be the quarterback's coach in Montreal. 
I think that is a great move. You look at Cavio and his history in the CFL, I think there's no one better to bring a young quarterback along. And I think that's going to be an exciting move for Montreal. We've talked about the explosiveness of their offense previously. With Cavio in his head, I think it's only going to help Adams get better. I've spoken to Kahari Jones being kind of the perfect head coach for Vernon Adams because they have a similar style of play. And Anthony Calvillo brings something completely different in the style of quarterback. He wasn't an escape artist. He wasn't a scrambling quarterback. He was very much a pocket passer and one of the best that we've ever seen in the CFL by far. Calvillo was a very cerebral quarterback, but he was also a guy that was not afraid when he saw the opportunity to go deep. Vernon Adams Jr. playing within the system, and I'll put it this way. When you get inside the 30-yard line, your first thought shouldn't be chuck it into the end zone. So many times he was bent on, we've crossed midfield, now we got to get into the end zone right now. And that immediacy, I think, was sort of outside the sort of the offense. If they sign one more contract, Montreal's looking at Vernon Adams, Eugene Lewis, and Jake Wenicky. We heard about this when Trevor Harris went to Edmonton, and I'm curious about how, how much of an impact this is. When a quarterback sign somewhere. How much does he collect other people into his orbit? A lot of guys respond well to that type of leadership. And I just wonder that because he's back already, that Wainiki and others will want to re-up. Yeah, BJ Cunningham certainly is another receiver that was a big part of that Montreal offense that's sitting out there as a free agent right now as well. So if they were to get both of those players back, it's going to be a, a potent offense once again. If I can just go back to Cavillo as a coach. If you think of Cavillo's career, when he started in Las Vegas and then moved to Hamilton, he was a gunslinger and he threw more interceptions than he did touchdowns. When he went to Montreal, he had the opportunity to sit behind Tracy Ham and learn the game a little bit. And then it was a few years into Montreal where he started to go over the 4,000-yard marker. I believe it was in 2000, his first 4,000-yard passing season. And, and from that point, we really saw a lot of growth. I think we could see the same thing happen here with Adams. He's been a gunslinger for his first few years as a backup and now as a starter in Montreal. And I think Anthony Cavillo is going to be the right guy to coach him and take him for that next step. Instead of taking the risk that we saw him sometimes take this year, he may coach him more to, to slow down, take time, and move methodically down the field when you have the opportunity to do so. I also wonder, too, in Montreal, if there's going to be the beginnings of impatience with the team. Two straight Eastern semifinals, two straight losses. At some point, you have to take that next step. It's sort of what Hamilton was facing by losing to uh, Winnipeg two years in a row. People want that next step. I think that's a valid point, Don, because we, we were at the beginning of the season saying Montreal may be the team to beat in the East in the 2021 season. That didn't come to fruition. They have the opportunity, if they can get all these key players back this year, get the Wynikis, um, build the defensive players that they need to get back into the fold, they have an opportunity to maybe take that next step with appropriate coaching. The one thing that we got right about the East last year was that we said it would be one game either way to decide first, second, and third, and it almost played out that, to that exactly. And in the West, I got the top and the bottom right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think any of us saw Winnipeg running away with the division like they did, though. We thought it was going to be a lot tighter in both divisions. I would say the biggest surprises of the 2021 season were how dominant Winnipeg was and really how poor Edmonton played. I think 
add to that list how poor BC was at home. That's a very good one as well. You had six of your nine games against the West in BC place, and they did not capitalize on that at all. No, after one third of the season, we were thinking BC had an opportunity to potentially move up and and they just, they folded. We're going to move our focus next week to them rules. I want to change them rules. So stay tuned. We're going to have some pretty cool ideas on our next show. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio worth watching.